Hey y'all, here we are again. <laughs> Courtney and my amazing Okay, literally, why do we I every time I try to think of an adjective, I know it's like the same thing over again. But I always want to say fabulous. I mean fabulous, fabulous, fantabulous, fantastic. What the alliteration. Magnificent. Next time I'm going to have the thesaurus pulled up. No, but really, my lovely joy, comforting, grounding force of a human co-host, Fallon Ballard. During your debut week, as we record this, how are you feeling? Um, Mostly tired. (laughs) Very good. We're kind of like in the home stretch here and, uh, you know, we're recording right before our events this weekend, which I'm super excited about. So I'm really Yay. looking forward to those. But yeah, it has been a very overwhelming week in the best way. Mm, I've just loved seeing your book all over the interwebs. And I mean, yeah, I can never get enough of that cover. <laughs> I know. Seriously. I love it so much. I feel so, so lucky to have had two gorgeous covers that I just love the most oh but speaking of um this is gonna come out okay yeah hold on i'm like looking at my calendar checking dates but we got some very exciting news last week like right before just my type came out so i kind of like haven't been focusing on it but um miss courtney and myself were both nominated for swoonies (laughs) which i absolutely like almost literally fell out of my chair i was like (laughs) so shocked and excited um so courtney is nominated for best holiday romance which is just like such an honor gave me all the squishies and then best debut yeah yeah as are you as so exciting best debut and best contemporary for fallon as well yeah i was just like um is this my life right now (laughs) (laughs) what is happening but i think if you're listening to this on the day that the podcast is released you still actually have um i think two days to vote in this next round Mm -hmm. so i believe they're still open yeah i think they close on the 17th of february and you can vote for like up to five books in each category i know it's oh my god like (laughs) i know hardy so hard i'm like everybody all of them i know it was so hard did you did you vote no because i got courtney i froze i was like i want to vote for everybody it is really hard it's really hard to like narrow it down and also it's so hard when you're now in this place where i'm like i love all these people (laughs) i want everyone to that's it that's so hard like well but I'm ruthless, and I did vote, so you should do. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, well, I'm not going to vote for my book, so I could vote for, like, other friends' books. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do, seriously, because I, I've seen yeah. enough of my book. <laughs> I uh, sent the little link to my, like, family's group text, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm nominated here if you have a minute and you feel like voting. Oh, I and love that. my husband They're responded readers. in the group text. And he was like, he's like, well, who else should we vote for? Like, who are your other friends in these categories? Aww. And my mom was like, don't vote for anyone else. What if they get one more vote than Fallon and you were that deciding mm. vote? And I was like, mom, <laughs> take it down. <laughs> that is top mom energy. And I love it so much. Yeah. She was like, nobody else gets any votes. That's right. Like, That's her baby. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that was funny. So that's exciting. We'll keep you posted on that. But yeah, I feel like that the excitement of the Swoonies got lost a little bit for me in the week. But that was oh my a very gosh. exciting thing. You've had so many. I know. Wow, it's like so many things going on. <laughs> that's how it feels, right? <laughs> it does. Oh my god, it does. Oh, all right. Well, you've had a little bit of a calmer week. What have you been consuming <laughs> lately? <laughs> so, um. Sometimes I feel like with life and writing, there's sort of this ebb and flow. And once writing calms down a little bit, it's like life is like, 
Mm -hmm. Welcome back. Here's all the shit that you missed last time on Glee. (laughs) So it's been like major parenting like um, moments, Um, good moments, awesome moments. Um, But just like we had to pick school for next year, started track. Wow. So I haven't been consuming very much because literally it's been like, Go, 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 go. Get home at nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, those days are so exhausting. Uh, um, but I'm also like soaking it all up. I don't know. I just, it's cool. It's cool to see my kid at, like kind of start to blossom. That's awesome. Yeah. Parenting is just like, um, she's just the best kid. She's the best kid. So I'm just really, really proud of her. And parenting is, is awesome. Um. Let me see. <laughs> I don't know. It's been like such a whirlwind. There was right, something. I... Oh, no, you go. You go. I was going to say, I can talk about mine if you need like a minute to think. Oh, okay. I ha- I thought. Um, yep. Knives Out. I finally watched oh, it. Oh, yeah. I'm still yes. in my Clue, my Clue era. Loving it. I think about the new game board characters at least once a day. <laughs> what they des- it's what they deserve honestly i was in target and i tried to look for them um but i i couldn't find them. wasn't there yeah. <laughs> but i found we you gotta get that i found your <laughs> book in target <laughs> that's always so fun um yeah we gotta find those guys we definitely need to find them before <laughs> steamy lit con i feel like we need to have a clue game party oh my god yeah that needs to happen we need like a slogan for the clue you know what um i feel like they should be sending us free game boards with all of the yeah. promo we have thrown their way yeah. so far at this point <laughs> where's <clue>. my <laughs> where is my free publicity <laughs> clue game board um i'm like loki like do we reach out to them and be like hey you want to send us <laughs> Hey, Hasbro. Is it Hasbro? <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking that. I'm like, there's only like a couple of game companies, so it's probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Tell me, um, tell me. Well, unless fun things, I have been watching this <laughs> no. documentary special on HBO called The Vow, which is about the Nexium sex cult. Dang. I don't know why this is where my brain is. And actually, I've I've been struggling a little bit this week to watch it because it's just been like too much on top of everything else. Um, but it is fascinating. It's way too long. Um, like, it's way too many episodes for a cult documentary. But um... oh my, I'm so sorry. Um, my cat <laughs> is making lots of noise. Just sorry. It's all good. That. No. It's way too long. It's always fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's just way too long. It's too much. Um, I, you know, I'm like so far in that I feel like I need to finish it. But I also am like, I don't know how much longer I can handle all of this. Um, But the first few episodes were just like wild. Like it started off like so sort of like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then I was like, wait, what? like it got weird real fast um and was like in the beginning I was just like so captivated by the whole story but now I'm like okay I think I think I'm done um (laughs) I hit my limit I I hit my limit I need to find something I actually last night as I was just sitting in bed and trying to decide what to watch I was just like fuck it and I just put on the first episode of Bridgerton. <laughs> like, I need something like soft. <laughs> I need a soft comfort watch tonight. And that's where I went. Actually, after our episode, after our episode <laughs> with Gabby, um, I've been thinking a lot about Jonathan Bailey in Wicked. Mm. And I was like, I think it's time for Bridgerton season two rewatch, specifically oh, yeah. the B scene specifically yeah. well and um i hadn't watched season one in a long time and i 
so I just went back to season one and I was like, I remember thinking in the first season, like I didn't find Jonathan Bailey, like all that attractive. No. Mm-mm. Um, I think it's the chops, like the facial it's hair the in season one. It's just a no go <laughs> for me. Uh, but I was like, Oh, he really like had a glow up there in between season one and two, because by season oh. two, I was like, hello. You, you know they did that on purpose. <laughs> they had to keep them in the like background a little bit. That's true. That's true. Yeah. God damn. Why sense. is everyone so hot in that show? I know. Can't wait for season three. I am ready. Give it to me immediately. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That'll be fun. All right. Well, we have a really fun guest today. I'm super excited. Mm, I know. Um, so she's great like talking a podcasting about pro. Like, legit, actually were you, is. <laughs> were you, like, low-key slash high-key intimidated when we – I was like, yes. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but she's so lovely. Like, yes. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I was like, don't actually feel intimidated, Courtney. But no. – Yeah, she's know what amazing I mean? and so sweet. Um, and we talked um, – all kinds of good stuff. We really talked a lot about like writing processes and, you know, finding what works best for you, which I think is like an ongoing theme of this podcast mm-hmm. that I'm very much into. Me too. Yeah. And we're going to talk about Spare. Mm-hmm. Prince Harry. Kate had some really great thoughts on, on that yes. memoir as well. And Kate yeah. had written... Oh, sorry. Kate Spencer, everybody. I don't think yeah. we even Spencer. said Kate's full name. We're like, just Kate. You know. <laughs> Kate. Um, but Kate actually wrote a memoir um, herself. So it was really cool to have yeah. that insight from somebody who knows. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, the I think the themes – I haven't read Kate's memoir yet, but I think the themes in that kind of really tie into um, – the themes of grief and loss that are very present in mm-hmm. spare. Um, so she had some really interesting takes on it that I hadn't really thought of. So it's good to yes. hear. And then the yeah. um, fish, PH fish. Yes. Fandom. As in the ice cream and the band. <laughs> I'm still like, are you kidding me? It took me You'll- how many years to put that together? Every time I'm in it. the grocery store, I'm like, that's funny. It's spelled P-H. <laughs> Carly. <laughs> I love that discovery for you. And I love that I got to witness it. <laughs> it was like an epiphany moment. Oh, so yes. good. All right. So we will be right back with our interview with the lovely and talented Kate Spencer. friends and welcome back to happy to meet cute so excited to introduce to you our guest for today kate spencer is the co-host of the award-winning podcast forever 35 and author of the memoir the dead mom's club in a new york minute is her first novel she writes a bi-monthly column for in style and her work has been published by the washington post rolling stone Esquire, Cosmopolitan, BuzzFeed, and numerous other places. That makes me feel very lazy. Previously, she worked as a senior editor and producer at VH1. Entertainment Weekly has described her writing as Spencer writes with a wry lilt and a gift for dialogue. Can't beat that. So help us welcome Kate Spencer. I feel like we need like an applause track. (laughs) <laughs> Got to get like one of those boards with yes. all the little sounds on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like you're like a old radio DJ. Yes, I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. We are so happy to have you. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm really, I'm so thrilled and excited to get to talk to you both. This is my, this is as writers, we spend a lot of time alone, mm-hmm. and then anytime I feel like I get to talk to other people, it's wonderful. But other writers, it's like an extra support group, kind of. You know, it feels extra good. Yes, I love that. It's a deep connection, right? That we like instantly yeah. get to share, especially in the romance world. I think mm, so true, very true. And nobody gets it quite like 
other no. writers. It's so important. Well, I thank you for getting me already. That makes me feel very safe. <laughs> We're so happy Love to, to hear you. that. Yeah. Um, do you want to start by telling us a little bit about In a New York Minute? I would love to. So In a New York Minute is a romantic comedy. Uh, if you cannot tell from the title, it is set in New York City. It's <laughs> a bit of a love story both in the city and to the city about two New Yorkers who are strangers who meet um, through a wardrobe malfunction on the subway that goes viral on the internet. And when they reconnect again, they realize they could not be more different. But through the city and their kind of separate wonderful groups of friends, they're brought back together kind of over and over and over again until, of course, they fall in love. This would not mm. be – there is, of course, a happy ending because what else do we want in a romance? Um, and, yeah, that's their story. It's Hayes and Franny. They're both kind of like two sweet little awkward – dorks like i just i have such affection for them um and they're like nerdy falling in love they're kind of like awkward ways I, they just i don't know why they both presented themselves in that way in my brain but they kind of i think probably because i'm that way but yeah that is who they are <laughs> so sweet hashtag subway cuties hashtag, yes <laughs> they had so a, cute kate well you know my friend it was it was kind of inspired by a lot of viral moments that were happening like in the late 2010s. I don't know if either of you remember Plain Bay or Plain Bays. Yes. yes. Courtney, Google this later, but <laughs> it, basically uh, a couple switched seats with two people on a plane. And so these two strangers ended up sitting next to each other and the couple was behind them. And it looked like the people were connecting and flirting. And so this couple uh, documented it and posted it on Instagram and kind of curated this narrative about these two people having this meet cute and falling in love on the plane. And oh my God. once these, and then went mega viral. And then once these people were found, that is not what happened. They were just like two strangers <laughs> having small talk. And so this idea of, of like, we can now with social media and our phones, we can create stories mm. about anyone and publish them for anyone to have access to whether or not they're true or not. So this is kind of what was, initially playing in my brain. And then I had a friend who had a moment go viral where he kicked a woman's sandal onto a subway track. And it was this whole thing where the MTA found it and they went on local New York news about it, kind of similar to, to Franny and Hayes. So those two, those two moments were just kind of playing in my brain about, you know, virality and the internet and what happens if we meet and it looks like we're falling in love, but actually like it's a total disaster. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. Um, so you live in LA, but the book yes. is obviously set in New York. Yes. Um, was there a particular something about New York that sort of drew you to the city as a setting? Well, I lived in New York from 2001 to 2011, and it's definitely my soul city. It's mm -hmm. probably where I feel I love Los Angeles. I love living here, and I grew up outside of Boston, and I love New England. And that's also very important to me. But if there's ever a place where I felt most myself and most at home, uh, it's New York City. And I grew up, you know, watching a lot of rom-coms set in New York. I think it's such a, mm -hmm. it's such a magical fictional place, but it's also a magical real place. Um, and so I enjoy both sides of it. When Harry Met Sally is probably one of my my favorite movie, if not one of my favorite movies, might be number one. And I think that does a really lovely job of using New York as a setting and the kind of magic of it without ever really explicitly calling it out. So that was that was kind of what I was aspiring to. And also, I just, you know, I think I was probably homesick. I missed New York. Um, and so writing, getting to write in detail allowed me to kind of visit New York as I was writing. And then also create, you know, like... <laughs> Like Franny lives in this tiny studio apartment in like the nicest street in Brooklyn Heights. Like there's probably like probably no way in reality. <laughs> it's like the friend's apartment above Central Park. Like there's no yeah. way Monica and Rachel would ever – that apartment would never exist. But there was – it was fun to kind of um, exaggerate and create, you know, like 
my fan a little bit of fantasy New York while also trying to trying to ground it in as much reality about the city as I could. I love that so much. And I feel exactly the same. Um, like there's just something about New York that when you are there, it just it sounds so cheesy, but it just feels like the world is like full of possibilities whenever you're in New York. Yes. Yeah, I just like that feeling is I think it's so hard to capture, but I just love seeing it represented in books and movies. And it just makes you just feel so like warm and squishy inside. I do, too. There's something there is that magical element of and and you know, what's funny is that I living there. It happens. You know, it's not as like beautiful and perfect and curated as in a movie or like, you know, in an Instagram or a TikTok, I guess would be like our more cultural, like relevant cultural touch points for the the Gen Zs. But there is magic to living in the city. Like you do sometimes meet a person crossing the street, you know, and just and like have an instant connection or you just have, uh, I don't know, it's just it's it truly I think my agent Holly described it as like, this big, how'd she say it? The biggest small town or the smallest big, she had a perfect way of capturing it, which is really what it feels mm. like. Like New York is like a giant small town and you ultimately start to see people, you know, kind of recur, you know, you, you, you get these, you form small communities in this huge city and it makes it feel really intimate and special. Yeah. Um, and I know, um, Sarah Jessica Parker always said <laughs> when talking about sex in the city that New York was, you know, like the fifth character. And I feel like that is totally true. Like the city itself is a character in its own right, which just yeah. makes it so fun. Yeah, it was not intentional. And I I came up with the title for, the, I had been calling this book The Meat Cute in drafts, similar well to your sad. podcast title. <laughs> and then I I think right before we, it went out on on whatever it is technically called where you send the book to editors to read. I was like, I can't, I need a title. And so I just kind of, this one just like kind of flew out of my head. Um, and so I didn't even, I don't even think I realized that New York was such a big part of it until the title kind of nailed it. And then I was like, Oh, this is a New York, this is really a New York city romantic comedy. Yeah. I'll never forget like stepping into Times Square for the first time in high school. I had gone for a choir competition. So I was like with my choir friend and just I'll never forget looking up and just having this moment of literally, like you said, feeling like anything is possible, especially coming from suburbia where people are very spread out. It's like it was the sense of everything's at your fingertips right here. And I, yeah, it really is a magical feeling. And it is cliche to call it the city that never sleeps, but it doesn't. And that to me, as Mm -hmm. someone who I like alone time, but I like always being near people, I find New York so comforting because I love that there's always something happening or something going on or a sound, Mm. a a horn honking at five in the morning. Like for me, that's, I find that very cozy and comforting. And I love that feeling. Like I never, I can't stand a city. I mean, I live in one and and I grew up near Boston and Boston shuts down very early. And I, I hate that feeling. I love when things are open all night. Yeah. Yeah. There's nowhere like it in the world. I, uh, yeah. And I just love, I love when you read that in books and you feel like you're there, you know? Yeah. Such a good feeling. Um, well, in a New York minute comes out in paperback. Um, so soon as we're recording this, but when this podcast is released, it will already be out in paperback and it's gorgeous. It is just stunningly beautiful. It has the best, brightest colors. It's so eye catching. Um, and I know Courtney and I were both talking earlier. We're so curious about the process sort of, of going from hardcover to paperback, sort of having this like second release and kind of wanted to get your your thoughts on all that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting for me not to immediately now shift into my Los Angeles cliche, but as a person who is a cancer, I do tend in a person who <laughs> Courtney's raising her hand. <laughs> yeah. I tend I'm kind of this weird introvert extrovert. And when anything kind of big is happening, I immediately kind of close up into my little shell. So 
it's you know oftentimes these this the book release process is extremely overwhelming for me um because it's so outward facing and so i'm i i'm kind of going through that part of it again um but it's also i mean this is my first fiction book the the first book i wrote is a memoir so it's entirely different the experience was entirely different and also with the hardcover, you know, as we all know, all of these events and books coming out have been so impacted by COVID and just a change in how we congregate. And um, I went last year, I went to New York to do an event in, for the book and I got COVID before, before when I got there. So I couldn't do the event. So all these, you know, it's just oh. it's the COVID times. But I think it is um, it is fun for me with the paperback to be a little more chill. You know, I, the hardcover came out in March 2022, and that was so emotional and exciting. And this time I kind of feel like, oh, I'm, I can breathe into this. Like the book is out there. I know what to kind of expect. I can talk about it. I feel a little bit more confident speaking about it. Um, and it, it's been a really wonderful release and year having it be out in the world. So I'm really excited for the paperback to kind of make its way out there because it is interesting. It is a different paperback and hardcover are two kind of different beasts. They're marketed in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Some folks who might not gravitate toward a hardcover might gravitate toward a paperback. There's a massive price difference, which I think is always really important to note. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really I'm excited. I'm just trying to enjoy it and not get in my own head too much because that is where I like to go. You know, Um, that's immediately my immediate place is like worry, anxiety. And I'm instead, I'm trying to just enjoy. That's so relatable. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I, Allison Cochran said something on the show. Um, as writers, we live so much in our heads, you know? Oh, and yes. I, I was like, yes, we do. <laughs> we really do. And I love your approach of just enjoying enjoying it. I mean, easier said than done. Yeah. For, any, for anything, you know, like I'm <laughs> I'm saying this and offering this as advice, and yet am I very wound up and nervous and anxious? Totally. But I think it helps just to kind of remember, you know, take a breath, have fun. People are supportive, you know. It's it's just romance. Mm, I love like that. romance love is that. about feeling like there's so much celebration, and it's such a supportive community of readers, and you yeah. know the the blogger Instagram TikTok community is super supportive, and the writers are so supportive. Like romance, this is it's like landing on a nice cushion, you know. So I'm trying to remember that. Yeah, and I think what is so great about this paperback is that it's going to find people that maybe didn't find the hardcover. And I think it's going to really open a lot of people up to just like how fantastic it is because oh, thank you. it's, it's one of those books that like when you see it on the shelf, you're like, Ooh, Ooh, what <laughs> is that? Ooh, I got to check that out. <laughs> it's so amazing. You know, I, I'm, so, I'm not a visual person in any sense. I like, I can't decorate my house. I can't, I can't, I don't understand how to put an outfit together. So to watch these artists take your words and create these incredible visual representations, it's like, it is mind blowing with a work that anybody who makes a book cover, I just, I bow to them. I I have no idea how they do it. And I admire it. So, excuse me, so, so much because it, they, it does pull you in, you know, it does, it is sometimes the thing that you you see and you you gravitate towards that book because of what you're seeing on the cover. I mean, it's amazing. The real MVPs. Seriously. Yes. <laughs> They're amazing. A hundred percent. So true. Um, so we did want to talk today a little bit about your writing process. And we have this conversation, you know, not every episode, but fairly often. And I think one thing we have discovered in having this conversation with multiple people is that everybody's process looks very different. Um, And I know that's something that kind of rings true for you as well. So can you tell us a little bit about your process? 
Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because I often do this where I'm like, I'm happy to answer questions about, quote, the writing process. And I'm start, I'm, I really had to take a step back and be like, there's no such thing as the writing process. Ooh. Right? It is, it, there is a process that anyone who writes, whether you're writing like technical textbooks or, you know, sci-fi or romance, whatever, everyone has their own process. But I think I know that m sometimes in the past, my fixation on like, what is the writing process and how do I do it right has gotten in my way and been a roadblock from actually sitting down and writing or believing that my process and my way of doing it is enough. Um, because it's, for me, it's very messy. My writing process is, I tend to get an idea, a very small idea. Like, like within a New York minute, it was like, oh, people meet on the subway in a disaster, like a disastrous way. And it looks like they fall in love, but they don't. That's like the first nugget of the idea I had. And then in my brain, I'm like, how the, like, that's enough. That's a book. And then you realize like, no, that's not. That's like a sentence. Now you have to fucking <laughs> sit down and figure out, you know, like I just, I tend to get a little like a uh, cart ahead of the horse sometimes. So I'm a, I'm a real like messy first draft, pause in the middle, outline the book, try to write to that, re completely re-outline the book. Hmm. Uh, I'm a little all over the place. And, you know, as I mentioned to my, my email that I, I'm neurodivergent, which is very new to me. I've always had OCD and I've always known that and anxiety, but I have ADHD. This is a newer diagnosis. And so having that information and now having that lens to like look through the way I approach my work and also like um, be gentle with myself about how I approach it has been, it's been really helpful, but it's also been a real process. Um, I'm currently working on a book draft now. It's the third like massive rewrite. And it's very, you know, every time I rewrite it, it feels like I'm pushing a boulder up a hill. And then every mm -hmm. time it's so much better than the one before. <laughs> like you just, it's like, oh, it's, you learn like the the kind of going over and over and over something does improve it to the uh, to a point then you have to stop then you can get obsessive but uh, yeah my my process i don't even know if i have something that can be you know i don't keep a calendar and put stickers on it i'm not that person i am not necessarily a pantser or a plotter i'm kind of organized chaos mm -hmm. i think so i relate to that as well yeah, I, I know with my second book, so many rewrites. I think I did like two or three as well. And it, I don't know. It's like you just get this gut feeling like, no, wait, that's not right. It's kind of like you reach a roadblock and then you have to go back. Like you're saying, the yes. stop and go and the reassessing. Or you and like reach all... a point. Oh, I'm sorry, Courtney, go ahead. No, no. Um, just it's it, it's such like the creative process is so messy. Yes. <laughs> and it is organized chaos. <laughs> Yes, it's so messy. And I, I'm sure there are some people who, for them, it's not. Like for them, they write a 50-page book outline and they know they have developed those characters and then they go in and they flesh out the book. I have a friend who writes movies this way. And then like, that's it. And, it, wow. and it's beautiful. <laughs> but for me, like that's everything forms as I'm, I get to know the book and the characters as I'm writing. And, and the other thing I will say that really does help me figure things out is like going for walks. Hmm. I will go for walks and the book will, if I'm stuck and the book will kind of come back or I'll think of something or I'll realize something. I realized something about my main character the other night brushing my teeth. So a lot of times writing is not done, you know, in front of the computer or with the pen. It's, you need the other moments in your life to let your brain kind of relax for, I think the ideas to kind of bubble back. I, I, I th Again, that sounds dreamy, but you know, half the time I'm like so angry and raging about whatever it is I'm working on. <laughs> Are you the kind of person where you like see scenes in your head, like it's a movie, little movie in your brain? It's so interesting. Like Stephanie Meyer saw the meadow scene for <laughs> Edward and Bella. Yes. Oh, Think yeah. about that all the time. She saw that scene and then she wrote the whole book. Uh, I... 
I think I more kind of think in, I don't want to say set pieces. That's like a term I think used in TV and movies where it's like the big, I, I kind of see in events like, oh, this will be fun. And then, and then I'll put it in the book and my editor will be like, it's great. I don't, how does this move the, like, how does this move the story <laughs> along? And I'm like, but it's cool. Okay. This is a fun idea. You know, it's like, you have, yeah. then you have to think about those things. Like, how is this serving the plot or these two characters? I don't know. I just <laughs> like the idea. So there's a lot of that. I don't necessarily see scenes fully formed. I more kind of have these big moments um, that pop up that I kind of want to write to and figure out how they tie stuff together. And I love like big moments in books, even if they're tiny. Like I lo- I just love those scenes where you're like, oh my God, shit is happening right now. <laughs> I'm in the middle of reading Ava Wilder's new book. So this, her book is on my, <sighs> her book is on my brain. Have you read it? Oh my God, I've read it. You've read it, right, Courtney? I have, I've read a very early draft, like part of it. Cause then I had to get into my deadline. <laughs> mm, don't worry, um, I feel you. But I have begged her to send me uh, the latest version, so I will be joining some, you soon. She's got some good moments. I'm just like so that's in my brain right now. Her book and like even even these moments that are like unspoken. I just love those like mm. the really intense. I don't I don't even know if I'm articulating it right, but just those you know what I mean those magic moments where it's like hitting that peak. Yes, it, you know, kind of goes back down, and then you like hit the peak again. I love that ride. Me too. It's fun to outline that way, like you said too. Yeah, that would be fun. I also that's when I think of a book, I'll often think of like the first moment and then I'll think of other moments that I want to reach, like you described, and just trying to fill the in-betweens with things that I really enjoy. You know? You know, I came up doing improv long form improv comedy in New York. And one of the things, like one of the kind of theories of long form improv is this idea of chaos order chaos like you that's kind of the site like kind of the heightening and the cycle of a scene and that has always stuck with me it's like I kind of see that in writing fiction too like you hit the chaos you hit the moment and then you kind of go back and like reset and then you like hit another moment and then it's so that I do think that helps the flow of a story I like that because I am not an outliner at all like I just I can't do it but I like I do feel like sometimes you need to have at least a little bit of a guideline so you don't just go totally off the rails. I mean, Valen- you go off the rails quite often, but I'm I like that so chaos. off the rails. <laughs> like I, I, I've gone back and looked at some of my outlines for in a New York minute, like my first page of notes, it's like half a page. And then I started writing a book. Like I, you know, like, I guess that's just what I do. And then I've stopped in between and outlined, but no, the people who outline first, I like, I'm a, I'm in in awe of that process because I don't I don't I don't know it I just I don't even know if I could figure it out yeah which is and okay I, I hate you a little bit if you're one of those people you <laughs> can just write too. a full outline <laughs> yeah or the person it. who like really does like a full character development <laughs> like sheet Can't with all these either. things I'm like oh god I am but I think that's been helpful for me to learn is like that's not right or wrong it just is what's good for them. And, you know, that, that I think has, and I hope to keep learning that as I keep writing books, you know, like your process is your own, um, and your own to figure out, which is miserable sometimes, but also, you know, can be celebrated. Like it's, it's what makes you unique as a writer. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is something for me that, cause I'm in edits for book three and I'm drafting book four. And I think just even the difference between that and writing book two is like book two really taught me what does not work for me. And Mm. um, I think now that I know that I am better prepared to, you know, express that to the people that I need to. Like if my editor came to me right now and was like, I need an outline for book four, I'd be like, I can't, I can't do that. Mm. Not going to (laughs) happen. You just got to trust me. (laughs) It's going to work. Um, But, and then I think hopefully, you know, if you're lucky enough to continue to work with the same team and the same people and they start to know your process, Mm. you know, being able to, to articulate and then have people that are supportive of what process works for you is really 
really key. Yeah. I've learned so much from working with my editor. I feel like sometimes she's like the college professor I never had. Like I've just, I've learned, I just have learned so much about storytelling and what makes the story work. And it's been really, um, I just like, I love it. It's hard work, but like, I feel like I've just gotten so much from getting to work with her. That's amazing. I, my editor is so, like, she's so, she gives me a lot of space to figure out what to do. As far as like, when I first turned in my first draft, it was 40,000 words. And I ended up rewriting the whole thing. I'm just a really lean drafter. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Okay. So the amount of trust she placed in me was it mm. it meant the world like for yeah. her to just be like okay Courtney like I know you're gonna get there I know this will get there and like she just supported me along the way you uh like a, a good editor I, you know there's just Angels. like a special place in my heart for for her <laughs> yes same yeah but also I think it's important too I know you did this a lot Courtney working on your second book is is asking for the things that you need. And Mm. I think especially when you're early in your career, sometimes you feel like, oh, I don't want to be pushy or I don't want to miss this deadline or, you know, like I don't want to ask for too much. And you really just, you got to ask for what you need, which is hard. It's hard to do that. I'm such a people pleaser. I really struggle with this. And I think that's advice I'm going to take in. You know, I already have the idea for my next book floating around in my brain distracting me from the work I actually really have to do. (laughs) And I do think as I start to work on that idea and hopefully, you know, get to turn it into a a book, um, that's really in good advice to take into it. People pleasers, listen up. It's hard. It's very hard hard for us. Yep. It's so hard. emailed my editor earlier this week and I was like, I have a new idea. I'm so sorry. And she, I was like, it's just in my brain. I really love it. And she was like, okay, but you are going to finish this other book, right? And I was like, yes, yes, Uh, I guess so. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) It's good to have somebody that you could at least be like, look, it's here. Shiny new idea. Yeah. Someone's steering the ship and then you can kind of just like splash at the end and (laughs) play around with your ideas it's so weird like being a a creative right being like the author sending emails and all that stuff it's it's a really strange place for me to be because in my day job it's business right I know how to send business emails and then as in my author job I'm the creative so it's like but I also have to send sort of business. So it's like this weird combination of business and creativity. <laughs> and yeah. It really is like, a, I don't know. Do, when I first got into publishing, it was like, do I wear my business hat or my creative hat? And then learning how to sort of meld the two has been a really interesting journey. Really weird. Like I have like asking for what I need, emailing my editor and saying, hey, um, you know, just having to be vulnerable instead of yeah. all business. I guess that's yeah. what I'm saying. You yeah. Know, it's been a really, uh, it's it's been a big journey. And then having a supportive team makes all the difference. It really does. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> it uh, really does. And people like the non-book people in your life who yes. give you the space to be. <laughs> To like be whatever it is you need to be. Yes. So true. Yes. Um, I feel like this is a nice anti-segue going from talking about (laughs) supportive teams to our poor, poor subject of our next topic who has a very not supportive team. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Harry. That was a terrible segue. Um, But I know you have just... finished or are finishing reading Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, which I have not started yet, but I'm dying to, and I would love to hear all of your thoughts. Okay. Oh my goodness. So I have been listening to it on audiobook, which I recommend. I love a celebrity memoir on audiobook because Mm. nine out of 10 times the author, the celebrity is reading the book. Is he? Um, Yes. And he's, oh, shit. Fan- 
fantastic <laughs> narrator. He's he's really good. And you get to hear, you know, you like just for example, he calls Will Willie and, and his dad Pa, which you're gonna get reading the book, but something about hearing him say those names over and over again. I don't know. It's it's been excellent. You can hear in his voice. There's one point where I think he might have almost you could kind of tell he got choked up. Um, he talks about his penis getting frostbitten, which everybody has heard by now, but you're hearing him talk about it. And you can you can also really tell like it's a very vulnerable memoir and very well written. I think his ghostwriter is, is pretty a pretty prolific ghostwriter and did a great job. And um you can really get the sense, I think, hearing him talk. Well, one, the pain of losing his mom is just so raw. And then to how much he loves his how Megan, his wife, is so palpable. You can just or pal- tangible. I don't know what the actual mm-hmm. correct word is here, but you can just feel it in the reading of it. Um, and it's just, it's just excellent. And I, you know, like I have followed the the Royals since childhood. I went to England when I was ten with my mom and my aunt, my cousin, and my grandmother on like a my first big trip. And I was became obsessed with Diana and Fergie, and I like made a vow to marry Prince William, which, spoiler alert, didn't happen. <laughs> um, but like he did at least marry someone who has my name. But I, <laughs> I was just fascinated. I was just fascinated by them, and I loved Princess Diana. So I've always kind of followed along. Um, and now I think, as an adult, I'm able to really look at the institution from a much more critical eye for what it is the same way I've been reexamining like, you know, capitalism and everything else, every other system. Um, Mm -hmm. But Harry's hair, it's just one, it's like a fun, juicy memoir. But for me, it reads as a book about grief. And I wrote a memoir about my mom dying called the dead moms club. So I'm, I'm always like laser focused on other people with dead parents or dead moms or grief writers but that's what I take away from it. So like aside from the salacious stuff and like him and Megan making out at Soho House and whatever, to me, it is a book about someone who lost their mom in a completely horrible way and never received the support that they so desperately needed and deserved and should have had from his family and from, you know, the larger community like you know just just the the way in which they are you know stalked by paparazzi he's so angry his anger is so also so vivid and his his hatred for the paparazzi is just like you can just feel it so to me it really is about grief and like coming mm-hmm. back and and also grieving like the life he didn't have the care he didn't have the you know the ways in which he hurt people. And I, I just think it's really a really interesting reflection. I, I'm, I am loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. And it's a long one. It's a big, it's a long audiobook. but I could like go on and on about it. And you, you get a glimpse into like what that must've been like for his brother and his brother who is the heir and has, to, is stuck with being forced to make different choices like he's almost even more trapped than and trapped in a different way than harry i mean it's just kind of a fucking devastating book the monarchy probably should not exist Hmm. (laughs) that's what i'm taking away from this it's like it's so fucking devastating and i'm like yes i can't wait to read (laughs) it's it's excellent i mean it really is it's i i it's really interesting and i'll be curious to hear hear what you think about it yeah, I'm excited. I feel like what is so cool and interesting about Harry since he left is just the honesty is like you can tell he's like, I'm done. Like I got zero fucks left to give yes. and I'm just putting it all out there. And, you know, it's so interesting because I don't feel like at least certainly not in modern history, we've ever had a royal who's just been like, here you go. Let's just put it all out on the table. Um, and it it is, it's just so interesting and so fascinating. And, and you feel like, you know, these people, but you don't really. And um, yeah, it's just so heartbreaking. Yeah. And I think I've had a lot of conversations about, about it and like, is he putting too much of like the family laundry out there? And I think it's, 
it raises for me like kind of a larger conversation about how we heal and how talking and sharing is a big part of that and how mm. I know, at least for me, I wasn't really raised this way, but I think my parents were, and I think they tried to do the best they could to kind of break the cycle of this, but like, you don't talk about it. You know, like my father had some traumatic things happen to him when he was younger and like the family just didn't, they never talked about it. Mm. And like this idea that we don't talk about these things or we don't like, it's bad to share or air the dirty laundry or whatever it is. And I, I, I'm just, I'm curious about those boundaries and exploring those boundaries and I don't, you know, I I think he is really trying to heal generational trauma. That is what I take away from this book. And it's going to be messy and not perfect and he'll it's, you know, I'm sure there are mistakes that he's made, but that's that's what it comes across to as for me. Comes yeah. across to for me, that does not make sense. <laughs> we that got is you. what it read. That, you know what yeah. I mean. <laughs> so yeah. good. What I like about what I have seen of the the memoir and also just heard from him on the documentaries and stuff is like, I feel like he's doing a pretty good job about owning his mistakes and the things that he's done. Yes. Um, you know, and he said something really interesting, I think in the Netflix documentary where he was like, you know, of course I had this unconscious bias in me. Like it's how I was raised. It's how we were all raised. And that's not something that's like my fault but what is my fault is if now that I know that I have it, if I don't do anything to change it. And I just thought it was like so great for him to just be like, yeah, this is a thing. And it was a problem. And now you have to fix the problem. And yeah. just to to really put yourself out there like that in such a public way is good for him. Good for him. And look, he needs this money, right? They've got to pay for that <laughs> mega mansion in Montecito, wherever they live. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, living in uh that area is not cheap. No. For sure. <laughs> you literally, you know, knock on Oprah's door for avocados. It's like <laughs> that's a very nice cup of sugar. Yeah. Come on. Knock on Perry. Gonna like drive your golf cart over there. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? <laughs> Montecito is gorgeous. Gorgeous, gorgeous. There was oh. this one walk we did up there near like Butterfly Beach and we walked by the house of the founder of Beanie Babies. I oh my gosh. I kid you not. Stop. It was incredible. It had like these golden gates. And I was like, wait, we can just like be at this gate. It was really weird. <laughs> oh. um, also amazing. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Yeah, it truly is so beautiful up there. Yeah. Yeah. I hope they're living their best lives. I do too. I they genuinely seem that they like they really care about each other and care about yeah. their family and I hope that I hope that for them so much. And I like that Harry seems very aware of like these are the things that happened to me as a kid that messed me up and I'm not going to let that happen to my kid whereas the rest of the royal family is like these are the things that messed me up as a kid. I'm going to make my kids do the exact same thing. <laughs> See if it turns out any different. Oh. Wow. Oh god, I know it's so hard. I mean, they are in it's they are in I, I don't even really understand it too as an American. I'm kind of like I get that this exists, but like can you all just can't you just like be done with it? And they don't think yeah. that's how it works, you know? So, it's so ingrained. Like I don't I don't know how they they get off that train. Yeah. 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 And like, but very similar with politics here, as far as like, it's just mm -hmm. been going on for so long, you know, and it's a big oh, yeah. transition to change it as far as like yeah. political parties. Right. That's what I'm talking about. And yes, just like, like whenever it's like, how it, it'd be great to have a three party work. system. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, these things are hard to, to actually, Move. I think the needle moves slowly over long periods of time, but it feels very yeah. slow. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about something fun. Okay. So you have an <laughs> obsession that I can't say I've ever met anybody that shares this obsession. And I no want to hear all about it because okay. – so you're really into Fish, the band. Yes. They're my favorite band. <laughs> Should Love <clarify>. Fish <laughs> in an aquarium or in the sea also. <laughs> but yes, this is the four-person band that I'm very So into. how did that come about? 
Well, I grew up in New England, so fish is from Vermont, and they were getting really popular when I was kind of coming up in middle and high school. So that's probably where, you know, the earliest influence was. You know, I had a mixtape in seventh grade that had a fish song on it, and I was like, oh, okay. And then I went out and bought the album, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, oh. <laughs> I, I think the mixtape oh, had like their like- most kind of like, well, not at first because their their music it's they're a jam band and their music is weird the first time you listen to it and if you hear their more kind of traditional poppy songs you're like fun, and then you listen to a show or something a little bit more and you're like what like I was 13 listening to the Bodyguard soundtrack most of the time like this <laughs> this was big for me, um, oh the body and I yeah I'm 43 so, so the Bodyguard so came out when I was in eighth grade. Mm, chef's kiss um so they i just got more and more into them in the the early 90s and i saw my first fish show when i was a junior in high school in 1995 and i just got it's it's similar to it's a fandom and there is something so wonderful about being a member of a fandom it's like all of a sudden this whole secret world opens up to you and at the time, I was very big in the fishbowl um, chat room on AOL. Uh, um, I yeah, I met the like who was who was asking me about fish? Oh, a different writer was like, "I'm so interested in you loving fish. Have you met them?" And actually, I first met the bassist. He would come into the AOL chat room, and oh. that is where I met. Yeah, that is where I met Mike Gordon, who's the bassist of Fish. And if you want, this is so specific, no one will, this will resonate with nobody, but there's a documentary about their first festival called the Clifford Ball. And if you watch the documentary, you can see 17-year-old me meeting Mike Gordon and being like, hi, it's me, DVD Sky 420, which was my AOL name, um, meeting him in person. He would drive around in his golf cart. Um, so they've just been, the band has just been like an integral part of my life, my identity at some points, like when I was twenty twenty one, I would I went on fish tour one summer, and that's like where you follow them around in the country and see all their shows, and it influenced you know how I dressed and all that stuff. And now, it's much just more. It's my favorite. They're just my favorite band. They it's just pure joy. The community is like any community has some shitty sides, but fish fans are really fun, and it's just a unique musical experience it's and it's just it's like inside like I don't even I don't even know how to describe it they're amazing musicians I admire their their skill and I love their music but being a part of the community is really fun and so I've seen close to 100 fish shows since I was 16 um I'm seeing five in April because they're coming out to the west coast so you got to like go big or go home, but I have to wear like, I have to wear like my biggest, most comfortable sneakers because it's a lot of dancing <laughs> and I am in my forties. Like, it's not like I'm 20 and I would like sleep in my car and then go to another show and then sleep in my car. It was a different, oh yeah, yeah, different time. Yeah. I know they're I like, e- they're everything to me in a lot of ways. Like it's just a really special outlet that I have. I just love them so much. So cool. It sounds a little a little culty, but everything is <laughs> cult in a lot of ways. In I a love good it way. So much. No, it's just like you got to hold on to the things that give you joy in life, you know? I love this. Yeah. And there's something now that I'm older, there's something really special to me about having this kind of obviously one sided relationship, but like I've been seeing this band since I was 16. Like, mm-hmm. and I still love them. And it's also amazing to watch how they've evolved creatively and they've like broken up and had all this shit go on with them as people. So to be their fan, there's been like moments of heartbreak. And when they got back together, it was like, it was such a relief for me. Um, cause I love them, you know, I love them so much, but there is something like a connection to my younger self that I have this kind of long mm-hmm. thing that has has stayed with me even though I've evolved and changed as a person a lot since I first started going to their concerts. But I like that that kind of thread through my life thus far. That's so cool. I do have to say it is my favorite Ben and Jerry's flavor. It it's an excellent food. flavor. So good. <laughs> an excellent flavor. It is you really, t- really good. 
You took the words <laughs> right out of my mouth because when we first started talking, my brain was like, that's why it's spelled that way for the Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> for some reason, I have literally never connected the two. That's okay. So that's good. <laughs> that's why I'm on this podcast for this. Changing lives oh everywhere. <laughs> All right. Well, um, can you, before we go, can you tell us um, about your podcast, which yes. is amazing and has my favorite title ever, ever because I'm turning 40 this year, but I'm also oh, turning 35. So. Forever. Yeah. Again. It's, it's a... It's a real tongue-in-cheek title that we, when we came up with the podcast many years ago now, we were like, this is funny. Like, it was just a play on Forever 21. Like, I'm 43. Dory, mm-hmm. my host, co-host, is going to be 45, I think. Like, we're we're not 35. But just this idea of, like, our obsession with being ageless. Um, it's, a, it's a podcast where we talk about self-care in all its forms. And that includes, like, talking about serums to then, like, picking apart why we feel like we need to use serums and what is at play mm-hmm. culturally um, when we come into these conversations about self-care and wellness. So it's been, it has been a real joy. It's a very fun show. It's very silly. We've talked to everyone from like Elizabeth Gilbert to Samin Nosrat to Nicole Byer. And actually, I can I tell you, we are launching a new we we make three episodes a week, which is a lot. Um, if you podcast, you know that's that's a lot of podcasting. And we're starting one of our episodes. We're going to start doing something that we're calling product recall, where we kind of do a deep dive into an iconic product and kind of explore its history, but also its cultural significance. So Ooh. that we're launching this week. That will already be out by the time people hear this podcast. But that has cool. been really fun especially because as a person who really kind of came of age in the 90s there were a lot of really fucked up products yeah being marketed to us back then yeah yeah i can't wait for that that sounds fascinating it's been fun i could still smell the gummy bear body spray in (laughs) my brain what what is gummy from the 90s it was like this package do you know what i'm talking about i love this yes (laughs) <laughs> gummy bear body spray wait i need to just please put it on your podcast Google. kate gummy it was this gummy bear body spray it's light pink the bottle i can literally oh smell my it. gosh there's a young i have never seen this in my life this is fascinating i've never seen this <laughs> it- wow yummy gummy body mist gummy bear body spray oh my god it's, so it's very <laughs> integral to my youth <laughs> it's the smell is it of really? my youth Oh, I love this so much. This is how I feel about <laughs> Debbie Gibson's electric youth perfume. Like I can Ooh. I can still I can remember saving the eight dollars it cost to go buy it at CVS and like yes. how magical it felt. Okay, so mine was cucumber melon body spray oh, yes. from Bath and Body Works. Oh so good. Mm-hmm. There's also so good. a pretty iconic one from Victoria's Secret. I think it's like a pear body spray. Oh yeah. Everybody, oh my god, I could smell body it. Body sprays. Like body sprays yeah. had a real moment in the nineties. That was mm-hmm. big. Right? Not perfumes. Body no. sprays. Yep. It's gotta be Bath the body, body spray. works, man. <laughs> my yeah. So my daughter is at Bath. the age now where like Bath and Body Works is the big deal. And mm-hmm. all her friends come and spray the body sprays. <laughs> Good for them. Ugh. Oh, it smells. It's, I go in that store and my head is throbbing by the time I know I get out of there. Can't it's just so much anymore. fragrance. Yeah, but it's it's uh we talk all, like a lot of mental health, a lot of you know, really getting we really get into it. So that is that is what I'm up to when I'm not writing romance books and talk about self care. Like romance is a big part of my self care and has been for a very long time. It's I wouldn't I wouldn't make it without romance books. Yes. Same. same. Very much same. Uh, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on the social medias? I would be honored. So I can be found on Instagram at Kate Spencer. My website is Kate Spencer Writes. You can find our podcast, which is called Forever 35, wherever you listen to podcasts. And 
You can find my book in the New York Minute wherever you get books. It should be everywhere. Yes. And go pick it up. It's beautiful. Yep. And now (laughs) in paperback. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It has been our joy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Thank you. you This is this is my happy to meet cute, this moment right here. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Best ending ever. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore K, K-A-E, on all social media platforms. And you can find me, Fallon Ballard, at Fallon Ballard, everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes. And a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you next time.